by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. If you're writing that down, which probably nobody is. Romans 12, verse 3. Oh, we got somebody writing it down over there. <laughs> She's writing it right here. Romans 12, 3. I'm going to read it in the King James because I just like one of the ways it says it. Apostle Paul writing to the Romans says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think more highly than he, of himself than he ought to think. Not to think more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, I believe we're all, we start out in this life thinking a little too highly of ourselves pretty much. <laughs> because that's all we think about is ourselves, what do we want. And, and as we'll get into the message, you'll see that that tends to be our case. And I know it was for me. But what... When we think soberly, after we get saved, shouldn't there be some kind of difference in the way we think? Shouldn't the way we view the world in light of now we see God created the world and that he died on the cross for us and all these things and he loves me and he's got a plan for my life. In light of all of this, are we still thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought? Are we thinking more about Jesus and his way? Uh, this Sunday, you'll know, you'll remember, that I talked about Joseph and how he had a dream. And in, at first he interpreted it a dream that his brothers are going to bow down. He's like, yes, you know, we want the world to bow down to us. We want everything to be about us. But as Joseph matured, what happened? He stopped thinking more highly of himself and began to think about others. Now it's time for our Papa's story of the night. For the first three Messages, I told you a story about my papa. But why? Because he's a good example of stinking thinking. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But, but uh, in his defense, we drove him half crazy. <laughs> me and my little brother, six years younger than me, I mean, we did everything we could to bring him to the brink of insanity. And then we kicked him off, you know. So some of the things that he did probably were a lot more justified. And you're only hearing my side of the story when I tell my papa jokes. <laughs> I, I call them jokes, I guess, but they're stories. But uh, I remember, for example, that as a teenager, I used to think a little more highly of myself than I ought. Uh, I remember in one particular day that they knocked on my door right at the crack of, you know, in my bedroom where I was staying for the summer at my grandpa's house. And they knocked on my bedroom door right at the crack of noon and, you know, said, you need to come eat lunch. <laughs> I was still sleeping, you know. Back then, you know, teenagers, they didn't get any rest unless they had 20, 22 hours sleep a day. And so I drug out of bed and they, they, they had to knock on my door three or four times. I finally got out with my bed head, you know, didn't have no shirt, no shoes, had them short shorts that they used to wear back in the late seventies. If you remember that in the early eighties, I mean, short shorts, they had company and my grandmama had fixed some lasagna and all this big meal and, and, and they having to knock on the door and wait on me before they can say the blessing and all this. And I come walking out in these yellow short shorts, no shirt, no shoes, bedhead, hand brush my teeth, and come and sat down at the head of the table. And I looked over there and there was some lasagna. And I said, Y'all get what you want of that lasagna because I'm eating the rest. <laughs> to me, that's funny. You had to be there because my uncle, he looked at me. He wanted to, I could, he said something, I don't remember what he said, but I remember the look in his eyes and his hands formed it like this, like he was going get, to get, get around my neck or something. But, but those are just 
crazy things you do when, you, when you're young. And you think life is all about you and you ain't worried about anybody else. We drove my papa all crazy. We tore up his four-wheeler. He had a brand new four-wheeler. We got it in the mud and we revved it up until we burned up the engine. I took his brand new boat to the lake one time, scratched it all up on against the rocks when a big wave from a towboat came by. Brand new. And we wonder, and, and people say, well, he would lose his temper and he would whoop y'all. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know the whole story. <laughs> if it would have been me, I'd probably still be in jail. And we, we would make him do crazy things like he had this riding lawnmower that he prized. And so I would mow the yard in fifth gear, you know, and I'd, I'd be up on two wheels on the turns, you know. He, had to st he welded something to the gearbox so it'd only go in third gear so that I would not drive faster than I needed to. And then there was those times that I tried to cut golf greens in his Bermuda in the backyard, his special stand of a Bermuda that, was, that he had planted and, and, and just skin it, burn it all the way down to the ground. Because <laughs> you, you ever tried to put on thick grass like it doesn't work? And, and so I tried to put on dirt, and it wouldn't work either, but... He didn't like the big dirt hole in his backyard. So he took the platform where the blades are, and he welded that so you couldn't lower it. Sir. He had welded his mower all up just because of me. So we drove him crazy. We abused his yard. And what, why am I telling you all this? I don't know. But I just wanted to say, you know, my papa it wasn't the only crazy one. I think we're all a little self-absorbed and think of ourselves a little more highly than we ought when we're growing up and then as parents and then as, sometimes as grandparents. <laughs> but anyway, I got, I got to when, when I was 12 years old, I was, uh, my grandmama had me going to the Catholic church some and they put me through what you call confirmation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through Catholic church, but it, it's sort of like their idea of getting you saved at 12 years old. You had to agree that you believe in Jesus and all this, and you go through these classes. And you had to pick one of the apostles that you most identified with, and they put you a sash around your neck. So when you went up and kissed the priest's feet or whatever we did um, and got the holy water sprinkled on us, and, and oh, I think it was his ring we kissed, not his feet. But one of those, but anyway... They, they told us, <laughs> but anyway, whatever happened, I, I was 12, and I don't think I got saved. I don't think I knew what I was doing. They probably explained it in some detail, but once again, I was just thinking about myself, you know. But anyway, they asked you what apostle you most identified with so that, that you could put the sash on your neck. And of course, I said Judas. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did not. I said Peter. And I know that because I have this from when I was 12 years old. This is the thing that they gave me. We made it in Bible class or whatever. And I told this story some time ago and I brought it up here to church and I, it's been in my office so I wanted to get it out again. So I told you that story. But I think me and Peter... I kind of identified with Peter because we both had the same kinds of stinking thinking going on in our brains. Michael Hoodman said Peter was strong-willed, impulsive, and at times brash. He said, but still, the Lord who chose him continued to mold him into exactly who he intended Peter to be. And I could see that being said about me. I was all those things, but God didn't give up on me. And I think maybe, maybe you could say that too. Maybe you were at a place, but God didn't give up on you, even though you thought more highly of yourself than you ought. We look at the, the Gospels, and we see Peter kind of thought he was God's gift to Jesus. He thought that he was the main apostle. He didn't care what anybody else said. He thought he was there to take care of Jesus, be Jesus' bodyguard, tell Jesus what he was and wasn't going to do. He thought he was in charge. He really thought he was in charge, it seemed like at times. But if you read that same scripture we just read, the Romans 12, 3, if you're still there, let me read it out of the message translation. 
Now, the message translation, it's, a, it's not a literal translation from, from the Word of God, you know, from the Greek and Hebrew. It's some man's kind. I, I see it as a man's interpretation of what it says. So I don't really, I wouldn't call this Bible per se, but it's, it's a man's interpretation of the Bible. But I like what he says in that same passage of Scripture. He said, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you. Living then as everyone of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves. See, that's what we do. We misinterpret ourselves. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. In other words, it's not your grace. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not what we are doing for him. And see, when we enter into our Christianity, Peter, he was a knucklehead right off the bat. You know, remember when Jesus got in his boat and, and filled it up with fish, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus said, come on, follow me. And that's what happened. We, we realized our wretchedness. And we decided to follow Jesus, just like Peter. But even so, Peter still got a lot of stinking thinking early on. And so he thinks it's about what he can do for God. And he forgets that everything that we do, I am what I am by the grace of God. I do what I do by the grace of God. Apart from him, I can't do anything. It's really all about him. And at this point, you know, Peter maybe doesn't quite understand that. But the good news is, God doesn't give, us, give up on us. He doesn't leave us in our infantile mentality. Peter had no filter on his mouth. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? He's a, oh, this is good, this is good. And I mean, there's something miraculous going on, and Peter just had to say something. He felt like he always had to say something. If God has to come down from heaven to tell you to hush... I mean, you probably need to learn to hush. I don't see God coming down from heaven for a whole lot of reasons, but he said, Peter, hush. Listen to my son. He's trying to give Peter a clue. It wasn't long after that, Peter rebukes Jesus for even mentioning that he's going to be crucified. <laughs> Never quite a good idea to tell God what he should do and what he shouldn't do. Correct God. I don't think there's never a time for that, Peter. And then in the garden, he pulls out a sword and he cuts off the dude's ear. That's not God's way. Of course, Peter could probably use another ear because he wasn't listening with the two he had. <laughs> Self-absorbed and people who think more highly of themselves ought than they ought typically aren't good listeners. Overconfident. And then we, of course, know the, the story of Peter saying that he would never deny the Lord. No, Jesus, I'm your man. I'm with you till the end. Ain't nothing you can do. I, them other suckers, they ain't paying attention, but I am your man. Look, I am with you to the end. They don't care. Nothing can stop me. Self-confidence. It wasn't just a few hours later, you know. But before that, Jesus said, Peter, before the, the cock crows three times, or, or before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. But prideful Peter, he's crowing like the cock of the walk himself. One day you're the cock of the walk. The next day you're a feather duster. <laughs> or you're debuting as a two-piece down at the Popeye's. You know, I don't know, but... <clears throat> Not the path to go down. Turn to Luke 22. Luke 22:60. It's funny how when you put messages together, a lot of times you stay in the same book of the Bible that you hadn't been in in a while. Tonight we'll be in Luke a couple of times, Romans a lot. Luke twenty two sixty. 
The story picks up here where Peter's on his third denial of Jesus. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Well, it's about time. The Lord's words should have been flashing through your mind all the time, Peter. You wouldn't have got yourself in this position. You'd have known what was coming. But the words flashed before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. He remembered what Jesus had said, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Wow. You know what thinking of yourself more highly than you ought leads to? Those who humble themselves will be exalted, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled. What a humiliating experience for someone who had just adamantly, without question, said he would never do that. And I believe Peter really genuinely loved Jesus. So you can genuinely love Jesus and still not be totally surrendered to him. Do you think? But can you imagine the look Jesus must have gave Peter? He just broke down and went out and wept bitterly. There's three kind of attitudes that you can have in life. It's the attitude, I can't do anything. That person has no confidence. And then there's, I can do anything. That's like a Peter. He's got self-confidence. But what God wants us to shoot for is more of like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Someone who has their mind on Jesus is on the right track. Someone who sees where the source of their strength is on the right track. You're not supposed to think less of yourself. You're just supposed to think of yourself less. <laughs> right? That's what humility is. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself all the time. It's keeping your eyes on Jesus, thinking about Jesus, thinking about what he can do through you, and thinking about giving him the glory when it gets done. That's what true humility is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today in America, we have created the world's largest entitlement mentality. I don't know if it's ever been this bad before where people think everything is owed to them. They don't work a lick or do this or do that but they expect someone to meet, magically meet their needs or whatever. I, maybe the Roman Empire, right before it caved in, <laughs> right before it went belly up, that was probably the last time that people had so much riches around them and, and so much wealth available and, and were taken care of and coddled so much. Every kid these days is taught from the moment they hit the ground that the little boys are superheroes and the little girls are princesses. And that sounds so cute. Before they even old enough to put on their first pair of tights, we've already got them a closet full of participation trophies and blue ribbons, you know. And doesn't matter how they actually perform or whether they even concentrate or whatever, you know. You did so good out in left field picking daisies today, you know, on the baseball team. And what are we doing at school? There's no permanent record anymore. That's the only thing kept me in line for those 12 years I went to school. The, per the threat of the permanent record on me. I thought they were going to put me in prison if I had more, one more mark on my permanent record. <laughs> and they was always sending me down for the Board of Correction. I didn't mean 
to meet with the board of correction. I meant for the board of correction. You know what I mean? <laughs> they straightened me out. But today, we just tell little children they have to develop high self-esteem. And I looked for the word self-esteem in the Bible. And you know, I don't even see it as a concept in the Bible. No place. In fact, I think the word self-esteem is would probably be translated pride in the Bible. We need to have self-esteem. No, no, wait a minute. What are we teaching our children? We're training them up to be a little narcissist. Self-indulgent, hedonistic snowflakes who think they're never wrong and need a safe space to meet with their counselor if anybody ever told them different. <sighs> we teach our daughters to crave attention. We tell them they're so beautiful that they begin to expect that little endorphin flow that goes on when somebody tells them that, and they're looking and craving for attention. If they don't get it, when they're older, they opt for surgery. Plastic. Or they cut off their daisy dukes another inch shorter. Looking for attention. And if you've done that, well, <laughs> you have the fa father's attention. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to give yourself away. 1 Peter 3.3 3, concerning this lady says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is so precious to God. You don't have to give yourself away. You don't have to make it something that it was never meant to be. You are beautiful to God. Clothe yourself in a quiet spirit. That means stop thinking that it's all about you and just rest and, and feel loved and feel accepted by God. That's really all that counts. And in that, you will have this quiet, beautiful spirit, gentle, and you'll be precious. It's unfading. It's an unfading type of beauty. It's not going to go anywhere. I don't care how good you look when you're, you're a teenager. When, look, time is going to take, take its toll. You better, you better grow in the way of, of your thinking, <laughs> or you're going to be sorely disappointed 50 years from now. And men, if there's any in here, okay, I see a few. You don't get a pass either. <laughs> every, every stupid thing mankind ever did started with some fellow shouting, Hey, watch this! <laughs> Look at here! And I mean some stupid things, like world wars and such. Men crave attention in a different way, but they still nevertheless craving it. Why can't somebody be happy with God's approval? Why isn't that enough for somebody? Surely we can grow to a point where we can be content with the, such things as we have and the things that we've been given and who we are as a person and our body shape and the way we look and our nose and our hair and our teeth and, and our IQ. God made you a masterpiece. You're just one of a kind, but we all want to compare ourselves to one another. And like I said this Sunday, Paul said that's not wise comparing yourself with one another, your gifts with some. You weren't called to be a singer. Why are you comparing? Why you? I can't even sing. Yeah. But they don't do what you do. Be the best version of yourself that you can be. It was the Pharisees who pretended to be superior to everyone else. You know that? That's, a, that's the way the Pharisees 
They, they went around with them big long robes. They were the original ones trying to make themselves out to be something. We don't need to make ourselves out to be something. You are something in God's eyes just the way you are. And it don't matter if somebody else sees it or not. What matters is it's true to God. Luke 18, 11. The Pharisees, I mean the Pharisees, stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. And he wasn't saying that in a good way. He wasn't saying that in the way that I'm talking about. You are not like other people. But he was saying that in a, down, looking down his nose when he said it. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But it says the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, you know, this guy's a tax collector. He knows he's a sinner. He's beating on his chest. He, he ain't even living right. This other guy, at least he's living right. If you're looking at external appearances, maybe the Pharisee is doing a better job. He's been with the program a little bit, you know, is what we call the cookie-cutter religious program. He's doing the right things. But the Bible says God doesn't look at the exterior. He looks at the heart. And Jesus said the man who came in here jacked up is leaving right. And you came in here jacked up thinking you're not jacked up, and you're still jacked up when you're leaving. Turn in your previously unopened Bibles. No, just kidding. Turn. Angie's just looking at me like, I'm, I knew I was the reason I don't come in here on Wednesdays. You know, she's so sensitive to me hurting somebody's feelings, I can't even joke around here, you know. Luke 14, 7. We're going to see another story Jesus tells. Like I said, staying in the book of Luke tonight. Luke 14, 7. Jesus goes to this dinner party, and, and when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed. You'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. We've all been dealt a different hand in life. Like I said, we got different strengths, different weaknesses. And there's not a person in here that couldn't say, man, I am the best about something in your life. There's not a person in here that couldn't say, I'd give anything to be like somebody else. Or I hate this about myself. You could have terrible self-esteem. <laughs> Let's not say self-esteem. Let's say worth. You could have terrible self-worth or you could have wonderful self-worth all at the same time, right? You, you couldn't choose what, the hand that you were dealt in life. You could have been born in Indonesia, 
South Africa, anywhere in the world. You could be rich, you could be poor, you could talk Chinese, you could talk English, you could have a different skin color, you could be tall, you could be short, you could be round, you could be square, you could be vertical, I don't know. You could be a whole lot of different things. You just happen to be here in Horn Lake, Mississippi right now, happen to be sitting right here at this church all of your life as all the experiences of your childhood and everything that you've been through in your walk with Jesus, it all culminated to you being here right now hearing this word that God is wanting to speak into your life. We all met at the same place at the same hour for the same reason, right? And we get to make choices now. We get to decide that you were going to be here tonight or that the rain was going to keep us away or we'd use this as an excuse not to come or, we, or I'm getting there no matter what. We all make choices. But you didn't, there's certain things about you that you didn't choose. All those other things I was talking about. Right? The only person that I can think of at all who got to choose where he would be born before he came to the earth was Jesus. And he chose to be born in a manger. The only person that I can think of in the whole Bible, in the history of the world, that got to choose what he would look like when he came into the earth was Jesus. Would you agree? Can you think of anybody? I can't think of anybody else. They got to choose before they came. I mean, they got the cloning and stuff, but I don't think they... Nobody gets to really choose their DNA makeup and, and what they're going, their appearance. But Jesus, in Isaiah 53, 2 says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. You know, in our, in our image of Jesus in our mind, he's beautiful. You know, we just picture him as being Mr. GQ or something, just awesome looking, you know, supermodel guy but that's not the way he came I think we'd be surprised if we saw Jesus on earth we might not he might not be what we thought he would be and I think he may have arranged all this humility on purpose so that he could just come and mingle amongst us without it being an issue I don't think he wanted his attractiveness to be what drew him to you or you to him. I think he wanted to, his beauty to come from within, ladies, like we talked about, by a gentle and a quiet spirit. I'm just thinking out loud. Philippians 2, 3. Apostle Paul telling the Philippians, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. See, that's really what we're talking about tonight. What kind of attitude? This is attitude. Attitude determines altitude. The kind of attitude that you have determines how far you go in the kingdom of God because those who humble themselves will be exalted, not those who exalt themselves. Those who exalt themselves tried to build a tower to Babel, and that didn't work out. They got humbled. Those who try to set themselves on a pedestal Get taken out. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. That's a new one. That's a new one because I'm in me all the time. I'm thinking about my stuff all the time. I'm absorbed with my life. Man, I know every in and out of my stuff. And the more I think about it, I don't have time for nobody else. Well, that's the problem. The more you think about your stuff, the more consumed you are with you. And the less you care about anybody else. And the less you care about anybody else, the less quality your life possesses. But he says, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourself. He don't mean 
Oh, you can wrestle better than me or play football better than me. Just better. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Because you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. See, that's what we're getting at here tonight. What is your attitude about in life? Because we're talking about our stinking thinking. An attitude goes to the heart of your thinking. What is your attitude about why I'm here? You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. No, that's an amazing statement. Though he was God. None of us could say that. If anybody had a right to, to jump up and say, hey, look at me. He was God. But he didn't think of it as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus got right down here with us, became one of us, limited himself to a human body, one born in a manger, born as a slave. Got in the middle of this craziness we call humanity, in the middle of this sin party, this pit that we have, we have created out of his beautiful earth. And he still came, willingly, wanting to come. And to wanting to be one of us, not to exalt himself, not riding on the white horse yet. He came to correct our stinking thinking. He came to set an example for us. He, he said, wash each other's feet. If I, your master, do this for you, you ought to do it for each other. He shows us by hanging on the cross that his love for us, is unconditional. You can't do anything to make him love you anymore than he already does. But at the same time, you can't fail so miserably and, and take away from that love. The love remains the same. The love remains more beautiful and more spectacular and deeper and wider than you can grasp with your mind. Nothing in all of creation shall ever, shall ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So even in your Christianity, you're trying to impress God. And you're doing things for the wrong reasons. Romans 15, 5. Hope it doesn't sound like I'm fussing. What, what, I hope what it sounds like is I'm trying to get you to take a deep breath and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You already impressed God. <laughs> You're already His favorite. What we need to do is stop thinking about, you know, when we're thinking about ourselves and what we got to do and all that, that's fear. Fear that I'm not going to measure up, that I'm not going to attain, and I'm not going to do all these things. Brother Joe got a testimony. You know, he got laid off here recently. I, don't, I guess he cares if I tell. <clears throat> But Brother Joe, man, I talked to him while he was looking for, for work, you know, and he's like, there's no fear, man. I, I, I've never been like this. Used to, I would have been searching everywhere I could, high and low, trying to find a job. Got to make it happen. That was fear of man. That's fear of failure. Men are bad about being afraid to fail. Oh, we got to provide, man. What are they going to say about me? But Brother Joe has fell in love with Jesus, and now all that fear has just melted away, and he's like, I trust the Lord. God's going to bring it to me. Joe, that doesn't mean Joe sat around and didn't do anything. 
He took every job available. He did what he could do in the natural, but he didn't sit and worry. He didn't go out and put out a thousand resumes just hoping to get something, you know, in fear that he wouldn't get nothing. He listened to what the Lord had to say. Are you in your dream job with the job that God promised you, that you asked for? Did you miss any bills? <laughs> Trusting in the Lord with all his heart, leaning not to his own understanding, and all his ways acknowledging him, and he directed his paths. And there's a thousand testimonies just like it all around you. Maybe you've done something like that one time. But it's so easy to pick it back up. So easy to get back in fear. Oh, God's not going to provide this time. This is bigger than last time. <laughs> like anything's too big for God. Romans 15, 5. I'm going to read it out of the NIV, New International Version. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement Give you the same attitude of mind. Say attitude of mind. That's really what we're talking about. Remember? Attitude. Attitude of mind. May he give you the same attitude of mind towards each other, an outward focus, that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God of the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that we can all pull together in this. So that we can all live for one another. And in doing so, we will all glorify God. And that sounds a lot like the picture that Jesus painted in John 17 when he prayed, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. See, when we're self-focused, we become an individual. We're like a, a branch that falls off the vine. But when we're outward-minded, we stay hooked up. David was a king. That's why they called him King David, right? <laughs> David was a king. In those days, that meant everything. He could have your wife if he wanted. He could get you killed just at a whim. He could take your property. He was king. Nobody would stop him. Whatever he said goes. But you know what? When the ark of God come through town, David didn't dance like a king. He left his kingship behind. He said, you know, I, I've reached about as high as you can go as a human being, but when God's coming through town, I'm dancing. And I'm going to lose my dignity and my self-esteem. Even though his wife, looking up, said, how shameful for you to act like a common person and you're the king. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I will lay it all down for Jesus. All down for God. He danced himself out of his clothes. He was so happy. He, he don't care about dignity. The apostle Paul, same way. He had more degrees than the Pharisees. <laughs> he had more pedigrees than the Sadducees. But he chose, hey, I count all that dung for the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to get in there with them, and I'm going to become all things to all people. Because I see where the true life is now. It ain't about putting myself on a pedestal. It's about putting others above myself. And it's putting God on the rightful throne that he is supposed to be sitting on. <laughs> when Peter heard that cock crow, I don't know, but I think maybe he just... He heard how ridiculous he had been sounding to be strutting around. That's what it sounds like when you go around promoting yourself and, and saying all kind of stuff without no filter on your mouth. And just saying all your, your personal thoughts. Peter changed. Peter had been humbled, and if you've ever got to a place where your big mouth has got you in, in a mess, and you've been humbled, just, just endure it, and come out on the other side having learned, or you'll go right back to the humbling process again, you'll go around that mountain again, me now, 
If somebody sets out a pan of lasagna, I'm probably still going to eat all of it. But I am making some improvements <laughs> since then. Few. <laughs> probably wouldn't wear my yellow short shorts this time. <laughs> Maybe put on a shirt. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to close. I'm going to close by saying the only crown we deserve is the one Jesus wore on the cross. That's the only crown we deserve. We want to be exalted. Christ was exalted. He was lifted up. On our cross. That's where he was exalted to. We demand to be treated with kid gloves. Well they spat on Jesus. And humiliated him. And he was the Lord of glory. We expect everybody to agree with us. But they didn't believe the truth. When he was standing right there before him. We think we deserve a pat on the back. For all that we do. But Jesus he only went about doing good. And he was crucified for it. He didn't get a pat on the back. He got a spear in the side. In the solar plexus. In heaven, they won't be bowing for us. We'll be the ones doing the bowing. And if we got any common sense, we can get a head start right now and get off of whatever pedestal we put ourselves on. Start bowing before the Lord Jesus that He would give us a heart, His heart, His eyes for the lost for the harvest that's to be brought in, for the hurting, for the downtrodden, for the lonely, for those in the hospital, for those who just are making mistake after mistake and need somebody to say, come along and say, hey, let me show you a better way. The sinners, they, they don't even know to beat on their chest. They don't even know they're lost these days. They've been told since they were little babies that they're, they're princesses and superheroes. Somebody's got to have those beautiful feet. It's going to go and tell them. And somebody's going to have to help the single moms. Somebody's going to have to help the disabled. Somebody's going to have to feed the starving little babies over in Uganda or wherever. Somebody's going to have to go. Somebody's going to have to do something around here. We've got, a, we've got a cause in the back right now. Exploited children. Sold into sex slavery here in our county. Oh yeah, it's going on. It's going on. And they're reaching out and saying to the churches. Now this is a government agency reaching out to the churches. And saying, can y'all help because we don't have any clothes to give them when we have to house them for the next two weeks because until their parents can, can get them back or they go into the adoption agency or wherever they go. We don't, we would like, uh, we don't have diapers for the babies. We're on a limited budget. And the last time I checked, it wasn't the government's job to take care of hurting people. The government has taken over the job. And they've taxed us like they want to make sure that they keep the job. But we're not getting into politics. We're abundantly blessed nevertheless. And the church is responsibility to go. It's the church's responsibility to help those unfortunate. And if not the little children, what are we waiting on? You know, I don't just put anything out there to wear the saints out, you know, but, but when we see an, an opportunity like this, we, we, are to, we are to be pulling up a semi out here and driving it down to the Child Protection Agency. I don't know why I got on that. Sometimes the most stinking thinking is what we think about ourselves. When you hear a cock crowing, don't let it be you.
Everybody in here is saved, right? Everybody in here's got eternal life dwelling on the inside of them. An eternal hope, an anchor for your soul. You have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. And with one another, we can help us envision and, and picture what we need to be doing with wise counsel and, and such. With resources. In the early church, you know, if there was somebody in need, they helped them out. We do good, we do good for most churches. But there's a lot of work left to be done. I mean, in America, for a church to be doing better than others is not saying a whole lot. And you're the Wednesday night next level crew. You set the example. You set the tone in this place. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Donna, for just giving me something to brag on tonight. But that's just, that's just the way you live your life. So many of you do the same kind of things. Thank you for that testimony that you that I shared for you, Joe. Brother John, we asked for a, a comment card. Brother John, only one in the church. We, we passed out like 80, 85 of them or something Sunday, and the only one to fill one out was John. And it was a great idea. Thank you, John. You gave us a good idea that I'm going to bring before the leadership team, and we'll discuss later. You have input here. This is our church. This is our time. If we will get off thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, making decisions without consulting God, going off in different directions, chasing the dollar bill, what could stop us? Man, we could realize some dreams here. We could run that devil clean out of DeSoto County. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.